Hello and welcome to the Fossil Huntress podcast. Today on the show, I'm going to be bringing you to one of my most favorite fossil sites. It's on the west coast of Canada, and these are the islands known as Haida Gwaii. So Haida Gwaii forms part of Rangelia. It's an exotic terrain that includes parts of western British Columbia, Vancouver Island, and Alaska. And today, the mist-shrouded archipelago of Haida Gwaii is separated from British Columbia and our mainland by Hecate Strait, a 40-mile-wide channel of temptuous waters that you'd have to be a brave soul to paddle. The islands have gone by many names. To the people who call the islands home, Haida Gwaii means Island of the People. It's a shortened version of an earlier name, Hadalagwai'e, or Taken Out of Concealment. Back in the time of Nagliglas, it was called Dikawagwai, or Shoreward Country. But by any name, the islands are a place of beauty and spirit and enjoy a special place in both the natural and supernatural world and my heart. Haida oral history traces the lineage of each of these proud families that live on the island back to the Earth's origins. Their stories bear witness to the last ice age, great floods, changes in sea level, and the arrival of the first tree, each of them binding them closer to the land and enriching our understanding of this special place. And while I explore the geology and the paleontology, I'm also very interested and enriched by the First Nations history of these beautiful islands. In the Haida stories within their oral tradition, they speak of a time when the Strait Hecate Strait, that body of water that divides the current islands from the mainland of British Columbia was mostly dry. It was dotted here and there with lakes and with a stepping stone structure that you could move between the islands and the mainland. And when we take a look at soil samples from the seafloor of Hecate Strait, we find wood and pollen and other terrestrial plant materials that speak to a tundra-like environment. So whether or not the strait was ever bone dry, which I doubt, there was certainly a way to cross it um, on foot versus purely in a boat or in a canoe. Today, the highest peaks are often bare of vegetation and snow covered during much of the year. But back in the time of the glaciers, these same mountains were the birthplace of advancing ice. Precipitation and a significant drop in temperature gave rise to the Haida uh, uh, Gwaii ice sheet, a thick mass of flowing ice that ran tandem with the Cordillera sheet in the Hecate lowlands. The melting of the last glaciers on Haida Gwaii had a significant impact, both in terms of sea level, which was transformed and raised up as all that, um, all that ice was released as liquid, and the Haida Gwaii Islands themselves. Um, there was a simultaneous rise of the continental edge and a fall of these islands. So the rise in sea level transformed the westernmost highlands and mountains of ancient BC into the archipelago of Haida Gwaii that we see today. 
Hecate Strait served the Haida much as the English Channel served the British after the Norman Conquest. So it was a formidable moat that discouraged attacks from the mother continent. And for people wanting to come across and trade, it took a brave soul. This is a big body of water and I've only ever um, crossed it in a boat in the last 20 years. So I don't know what it would have been like with more or less water in that moat but it is a vicious, vicious body of water. So it's a brave soul willing to do it in a larger boat, which I've done. But I cannot imagine the brave souls paddling out from Haida Gwaii in their canoes to forage onto the mainland or to go south down and connect with Vancouver Island all the way down to Victoria to trade. As well as a rich modern First Nations history of the islands, which is a delightful uh, piece to explore. The geology and paleontology of Haida Gwaii is outstanding. There was a GSC, so a Geologic Survey of Canada, geologist and paleontologist, Joseph White Eaves, based in Ottawa, who did some amazing work back in the day. His first published paper on the mostly the Jurassic and Cretaceous faunas of um, Haida Gwaii, and particularly Skidigat Inlet, was published in 1876. And this particular publication furthered his, <laughs> furthered his reputation and whet my appetite for the wonders of this island. Um, Whitey's work on the paleontology of Haida Gwaii provided an excellent reference, um, so it's a great tool that others have built upon. On one of our field trips to the island, we went to the rugged, beautiful Cretaceous exposures of Lena Island. We'd planned this trip as part of a trip of a lifetime, so every two years, so back in the day, I was the chair of the Vancouver Paleontological Society. So I say I was the chair for about 15 years, but when I actually look back, I think it was, I was a member for 15 years and I think chair for about a decade. But in any case, we would do um, 10 meetings a year or and sometimes 11 and 10 field trips a year. So local exposures once a month and we would do a talk every month except August. So um, from January to December, we met once a month and gave a talk. And then in August, we would always plan a big, big trip. And every two years, we would plan a trip of a lifetime. And so at the time when we planned our first big trip to Haida Gwaii, because this would encumber, this would be flying in or driving up, um, you know, 10 hours to Prince George and then 10 hours to Prince Rupert and then spending an overnight and taking a ferry. So a lot of undertakings and also prearranging some boats to take us to some great exposures. And so John Pham and Dan Bowen, Dan is the current chair, and he was the chair at that time too, of the Vancouver Island Paleo Society. And at the time, John was a member of the VIPS, and I was the chair of the VanPS. And today, I'm a member of the VIPS, and he's vice chair of the VanPS, so we've kind of switched roles. But the three of us got together and planned an amazing trip. So we wanted to go up to Haida Gwaii. We wanted to explore some of the fossil-rich Albion to Cenomenian um, Haida formation exposures and look around at some other bits of fauna. So that all the Jurassic, Jurassic Cretaceous goodies. One of my very favorite um, ammonite species comes from Haida Gwaii. So it's a 
a Duvillaceris, kind of a chunky monkey, double-handed ammonite with big, nice, deeper ribs. It's a very satisfying species. And we find those specimens along with um, Brewericeris. Uh, we found a bunch of cycads. Um, there's uh, Cleonicerus, so there's there's a bunch of wonderful faunas in Haida Gwaii, and uh, so we wanted to go up and explore them. And on that first trip, it was one of our trips of a lifetime, one of those every two-year trips that we would plan out to the exposures. If you have an opportunity to go to Haida Gwaii, I highly recommend you go. Outside of the fossils, the islands, and the people are just beautiful. Um, some folks like to collect uh, chanterelles and exotic mushrooms, and other folks I know go there to pick berries or collect agates. I particularly love um, seeing the artwork that comes out of the island, both in terms of um, the silver bracelets and jewelry, and also just the pure artistry of carving and painting. So an amazing and talented people. If you do go and you want to collect, it's a very good idea to check in with the local community members and tell them what you're up to. A lot of this ground is sacred ground and some could argue all of it is sacred ground. So you want to make sure you're, ex you're uh, collecting at beach exposures and that you're really mindful of not leaving rubble or uh, sort of broken rock along the beach edge. Collect close to the water's edge and make sure that those pieces go below the tide line so that they can be washed away. The concretions here are big, so they range in size, but most of what I collected from Haida Gwaii were in big sort of bowling ball or larger size concretions, which is great because they travel very well. There is a, there's an urge to kind of uh, beach, uh, beach prep, so to smash things on the beach with a sledgehammer. I, I didn't in my case, I just brought uh, maybe a half dozen big green plastic totes, which I filled with these bowling balls um, so that they could be collected and they actually travel so much better when you don't crack them open. And they're multi-blocks. So on Hornby Island, we mostly find one fossil per concretion or maybe a couple fossils per concretion. In the Haida Formation, I found multi-block after multi-block, so a dozen ammonites in a single concretion, and they're beautifully preserved. They are notoriously difficult to prep out, so the, it's a very firm matrix, and it takes, um, I, I would have them professionally prepped if you do collect, because uh, you'll need some air scribes and some professional tools, and we can talk more about uh, fossil prep on another episode, but... Um, I hope you've enjoyed visiting the islands and I do hope you get to visit them in person. I will post about them so that you can see some photos of what the collecting sites look at and I hope you have a beautiful day. Thanks so much for listening.